question. What makes you happy? Simple question. What makes you happy? Like there's probably a list of things. For me, it's probably most recently, except for this week because it's been super hot. But one of my happiest spaces is just working in my yard. I love to get out and just work in the yard. I get, get my hands in the dirt. I love mowing the grass. I love, some people are like, I hate that. But for me, it just, it's a great way to just connect and with, with nature and just be out. I love it. I love NFL football. That's my happy place. Anybody with me on that? Guys, we have fake football on TV this coming week. Thursday is a preseason game. I know it's fake football, but it's actual, it's football and it's on TV. I'm pumped. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. So my favorite place, my happiest place is when the Cowboys are playing in the playoffs. But I haven't been happy very much recently. So I'm hoping, this is our year though. This is our year. Uh, Plenty of things can make you happy, right? And lots of things make me happy. What makes you happy? You know, we we could take turns. It could be a lot of fun. A good definition for happiness is a feeling of pleasure, right? I mean, you just, yeah, I like that. That was good. That was thumbs up. I like that. A feeling of pleasure. Uh, It's an emotion, and it's a good emotion, and we like happiness. Presents make people happy. When someone gives you a present for your birthday, or when you have an accomplishment in your life, it makes you happy, or when you're with people that you enjoy being with, that's happiness. Happiness is a good thing, but this is the truth I found about happiness. It can be really hard to hold on to. Take this in. The phrase, happiness is slippery, is something I heard years ago. You're trying to pick up like a fish or something, you know, it's just, it's trying to get away. And, and happiness is, you can, you can find it fairly easily. Most of us know what, at least we have an idea of how we could get there. And when you do get there, boom, I'm there. But keeping that feeling, that emotion can be very difficult. I believe that God has something for us better than happiness. Here's the thing about happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. And circumstances change. Because that's how life works. It's not static. Circumstances change, life changes, and so therefore I can be happy in one moment, something can change, and then my happiness can go away. But what? But what? Like, what do I do? I believe God's got something much better than happiness, and biblical writers call it joy. Today we're talking about joy. Now, when you look in the dictionary, if you were to right now get on Google or whatever kind of dictionary you want to look up online, look up happiness, look up joy, the definitions are pretty much the same. It's got something about uh, pleasure, experiencing pleasure, okay? So like linguistically, language-wise, joy, happiness, they're, they're very similar things. You could use them interchangeably. But when you look at the Bible and when you see the biblical writers use the word joy, it's this strange thing happens. There's like another layer beyond happiness that they seem to be able to know about. And so let's talk about that today. We're going to be in the book of Psalms again today. So if you got your Bible, grab it. Uh, we're, we're going to be continuing in this series. We're calling Playlist. And what we're doing is just looking through different Psalms throughout the book of Psalms, which is right in the middle of your English Bibles. Uh, and they were ancient songs sung by people at the time when the Jews worshiped at the temple. And so grab your Bible. If you got one on your phone, that's okay. If you need a Bible, we got free ones we give away every week at the coffee bar, whether you need to borrow it just for the church session today or keep it with your name in the front. It's yours. Uh, And we're going to be in Psalm chapter 126, Psalm 126. Very short song. We're going to do something that we don't do very often. We're going to read our entire passage first. No commentary, no discussion. Just read it, and then we'll get back to discussing it. Uh, A couple of you still looking it up. I'll give you another second or two to do that. Psalm 126. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Let's just read the whole thing. It starts like this. A song of ascent. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. 
Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So the past few weeks we've been talking about the Psalms, and uh, they're songs of worship. And like any songs, they kind of cover a lot of topics. I mean, if, if you read through, if you remember our very first week, we read uh, Psalm chapter 46, and you read this guy who's just in despair. Do you remember this guy? He was talking about how much he longed to, to be in the presence of God, and he said, he compared it to a deer panting for streams of water, and he's like, if I could just be in your presence, he wanted to be in the presence of God. He was in despair, but like the songs we listen to on the radio or, or whatever, we the Psalms cover lots of different emotions, they cover lots of different stories, they cover lots of different circumstances, people's fears, people's doubts. Uh, and this is important for us to remember. The same God who is there with this guy in Psalm chapter 46 in his despair is the same God that can be with you when you're also in times of joy, in times of happiness, in times of celebration. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4 says it this way, there is a time to weep, there's also a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, there's also a time to dance. And so as the spectrum goes, today we're talking about the good times, the celebration, the joy. Think about those good times. What makes you happy or what brings you joy? And what do we do as we interact with God in those times? Let's talk about this whole passage. We're going to break it down a little bit. Uh, you might have heard me read this, and if you're looking at it in, in your Bibles, right under Psalm 126 is a phrase. It says, Song of Ascent. Or it might say songs of ascent or song of ascents. There's a couple different ways it's in different versions of the Bible. What in the world does that mean? Uh, pretty cool fact. Psalms chapter 120 through chapter 134, that, what, 14 psalms. They're a collection of psalms that are collectively known as the songs of ascent. Uh, ascent as in climbing something, climbing a ladder, climbing stairs, climbing a tree. Uh, the city of Jerusalem was built up on a hill, very big hill. So you could see it for miles and miles around. And so anyone who's entering the city of Jerusalem would have to ascend a hill to get to it. And so this is the idea of the songs of ascent. There were several uh, annual festivals every year. Um, and people would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem to be part of those festivals and those celebrations. And as the families would travel, it was a really big deal. I mean, you'd have grandma and granddad and all the kids and all the cousins, and you're traveling in a caravan together. And as you enter up to Jerusalem where the festival is taking place, there would be traditions. And one of the traditions was to sing songs. And so just like we have like a collection of songs at Christmas time where, you know, they're Christmas songs and we understand it's Christmas time, so we're singing Christmas songs. These were songs of ascent because when you would begin to ascend the hill into Jerusalem, these were the songs you would sing. So if you look through them, they're all pretty short and they all have very common themes. The themes are like, God is really good and God takes care of us when I cry out for help and, and God is mighty and God is powerful because these are just straight up praise songs. So if you want to just like worship God and read some psalms that really lift him up, the songs of ascent are really good for that. So in Psalm chapter 126, this is a song of ascent and this is specifically about the joy that God brings into our life. We're talking about joy today. We're talking about happiness. How do we hold on to it? Is it slippery? Can we get a grip? Now, in this little breakdown, we're just going to look at it in two sections. I mean, there's only six verses, very short verses, in this whole chapter, and we're going to do it three and three, so the first three and the second three, and they each kind of cover like a different avenue of joy 
and how we can address God with it. Let's look at the first three verses again. When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, quick time out, Zion is like a nickname for uh, Jerusalem. So we're the port city, also Wilmington, Zion, Jerusalem. There's history behind it, but that just lets you know what we're talking about. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So I said we're going to break this into two sections. In this first section, I'm just calling this joy for past help because that's what's going on here. As they're celebrating God and going into Jerusalem and these families are singing these songs, they're celebrating what God has done for them in the past. There was a time in Jewish history when the Jews were captives in Babylon. And so the majority of all the Jewish nation was, I mean, just literally carted out of the the region around Jerusalem and, and sent off to Babylon. And they were there for a really long time. Now, there were prophecies made by, you know, people from God that there's going to be a day when we're going to get to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. And they dreamed about those days, and it was a really big thing. But the day that that actually happened, and it's a whole big story. I mean, there's a whole section of the Old Testament dedicated to this coming back to Jerusalem time. But it was this amazing, exciting event. He says, when the Lord restored Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Here it is. This is ha- if you've ever seen someone uh, in, a, in a reunion, like uh, someone who's been deployed in the military for six months or a year, if you've seen these videos of like their kid is at a park or at their ball game or something, and like, and like dad or mom walks up behind them, they're in uniform, tap on their shoulder, and it's just like, what am I, is this real life? Mom's home, dad's home, and then there's a hugs, and there's crying, and there's celebration, and there's YouTube videos, and it gets viral. Like, it's exciting. It's exciting. And so this is what this is. This is a reunion between the nation of Israel and their ancestral homeland. We were like those who dreamed when the Lord restored Zion. Verse 2, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy, and then it was said among the nations... The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. It's really cool, this unspeakable joy that's going on in their life. Like, they're so pumped. They're so excited. There's so so many parties in this area when they return to their motherland that the nations around them noticed it. Like, I don't know if there was just, like, lots of banging of drums or, like, if maybe they sent out messengers like, hey, we're home, hey, we're back, everybody. And they were so excited about having returned to the, the nations around them noticed it. And their, their word, their, the recognition of that, the, the explanation for all of that, that I love, both uh, the speaker of the psalm says it and the nations, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things or have you ever had one of those moments where you were able, in a moment, you were be like, man, I'm blessed. Like the, the Lord has done great things for me. I had a moment like this with my wife, Lindsay. It was a couple of years ago. Of all days, it was on Halloween. And uh, so we got a tradition with some families at church, uh, you know, 
it's like pretty much like every kid at church almost, it seems like. But for years, uh, there's been a group of us that just meet in a neighborhood and we trick or treat. And so we trick or treat through the neighborhood and it's been fun because in this particular neighborhood, uh, one of our favorite families lives there, the Smiths, James and Dixie Smith live there. And so like one of our traditions is to stop by the Smith's house. And like there was one year where we were just like, let's, let's just mess around with them. Like we're coming. So the first year, I think we like went to the front door and had the kids like sing Christmas carols instead of saying trick or treat. It's like, what are you doing? Like this is crazy. And so like every year, like, okay, how do we how do we just mess with the Smiths? And so I think like we went one year we're trying to knock on their tap on their windows and be creepy. So you know they'd had enough. They'd had enough, I guess. And so this this one particular year, uh, we had no idea that they were going to get us back. Okay, so we have all these kids and we're just walking down the street and we're coming around the corner and the corner where you get to their street is kind of dark. And so they had invited a bunch of other friends from church over. I think it was like their small group or something. And they were all like hiding, like, I don't know, in the ditch. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing James with like a ghillieweed, ghillieweed, that's Harry Potter, a ghillie suit on. Like he's, you know, he's like hiding in the mud. I don't know, face paint. I, anyway, they're like hiding out behind trees and stuff. And as we round the corner, they just jump out ah, and scare everybody. And they start spraying the kids with silly string. And like immediately it was pandemonium and it was fun. It was so much laughter, so much joy. Why in the world are you telling this story, Chris? We're talking about Psalm 126. I'm getting there. So we're having this moment, okay? We're having this moment and it's fun. And we make our way back to the front yard of the Smith's house. And now that, I don't know how many people were there. Were there like 30 people in your yard? It was a lot of people. And we're all hanging out there and laughing and playing. And the kids are like, uh, there's more candy down the street. Like, what are we doing? But we're just enjoying each other's company. And my wife and I were on the outside of this circle for a minute. And I looked over and she had a tear in her eye. Because so this month, August, uh, 10 years ago, my wife and I packed up everything we knew and we moved. We left our hometown. We left the area we lived in. We left the secure group of community. We left our friends. We left everything we loved. And we were like, God wants us to be involved in planting a new church. So we just, we just left. And I'm going to tell you, it was hard. When we landed in Wilmington, in church planting lingo, they call it a parachute drop, a parachute plant, uh, which basically means you don't really know anybody. And the goal is to build community and start from scratch and there was a long time when we didn't really have a whole lot of community here and we didn't have a church family and, and, and there were really hard times emotionally on me because we're, we're even like, okay, is this even going to work? Like, this, what, do we really need another church in Wilmington? Like, is that a big deal here? And, and it was hard moments seriously where we sat on our couch at night after our kids had gone to bed and like, is this okay? Like, is this right? Like, do we want to keep doing this? It was hard. At some point, there was a shift, though. I don't know when that happened. We missed it. It kind of passed us by and we didn't realize it. And this shift happened when we suddenly realized like, whoa, we've got a community here. We live in Wilmington now. Like this is our family. We don't ever want to leave. This is our place. And we love our church family. The shift happened. I'm not sure when it happened, but it was sometime before Halloween night that year. Because Lindsay looked at me with a tear in her eye and she said, this is what we came here to do. The Lord has done great things for us. It's really easy for us in the midst of the hard times to only focus on the hard times. As these people are ascending the hill into Jerusalem, the first time, like when they just got back from Babylon, I mean the pain of being captive in Babylon was fresh on their mind. By the way, their city was destroyed while they were gone. They had a lot of work to do. Check out the book of Nehemiah. It's rough. Lamentations, it's, uh, it's about lamentations, <laughs> sadness. 
But as these ancestors and, and, and literally as the, 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 fir- the first people walked back into to the city, they saw that the Lord was being good to them in that moment. I don't know what uh, you've gone through, and I know what you're going through. My question is this, what has the Lord done for you in your past? This first half is about celebrating the joy of the past, knowing that God has been there. Now, here's the thing. I know that you might be in the thick of some of the worst stuff you've ever gone through in your life right now. That's how it goes, right? You have to eventually get through the hard stuff (laughs) before you can look back. But my guess is also that you can still look back and even recently see that God has been good to you. It is important for us to not let those moments pass us by. It is important for us in those moments to find the joy in celebrating what God has done for us in our past. We move on to verse four. So that's the first half, celebrating joy of the past. But then in verse three, we get to this. He says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow, sow will I messed that up last time, didn't I? Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Sheaves is like, you know, the whole bundle of the crop, okay? So uh, the second thing we see here, we talk about joy for the past. Now we're talking about pray for future joy. See, you might be in that painful moment right now. You're running out with seeds to sow, (laughs) with tears in your eye, the prayer is that God will bring joy. Uh, These are not ungrateful people. They're excited for what God has done for them. They talk about the Negev, and we probably don't get that. If you understand this reference, awesome, good for you. I had to look it up. Negev is the southern region of the area that they lived in. In the summertime, the Negev region was apparently really dry and arid. But in the fall, the rains would come, and the streams would fill, and it would be alive again. And so the prayer there is like, God, restore the fortunes of Zion like you restore the Negev. Bring us back to a time where the rivers are flowing, and the fish are jumping, and the crops are growing. So this is a group of people who has experienced exile, and they've been away from their people, and they've come back in, and their prayer for the future is that God will restore the land. And so... um, Restore our futures, Lord, like the streams of the Negev. And then verses five and six, there's this farming imagery. And so hopefully you picked up on this. There's seeds, there's sowing, there's harvesting. Uh, after they returned from captivity, I told you, it was hard. I mean, their, their region had been taken over by other people. People had just moved in. Like, dude, someone has left the whole city open. Um, let's move in. So, I mean, they're, they're like fighting off vagabonds and they're like having to re, re, not just replant their crops, but re like cultivate their soil. Like all this stuff has to happen. And so there's this imagery of, of walking out weeping with your seed. You know, I, I got to plant the crop this year and I hope it goes well. But my prayer, my prayer is that I will be able to come in with sheaves of joy at the harvest time. And this is hard, guys. This praying for joy in the future, this is hard because it's about faith, it's like I got to believe that God can provide this for me and especially you know it's easy to look back and be like oh there was some good stuff that's great (sighs) but those are the golden days those days are behind us now I've got nothing but pain ahead to have that faith the ability to say God can you please I'm going to sow these seeds okay and I'm going to be weeping while I do it but my faith is that you'll cause it to grow that you'll work in my life and that there'll be a moment where I can harvest the soil, the, the, you know, the grain or whatever it is with joy, with joy. 
one of the things that the writers of the Psalms teach us is that life doesn't always bring us warm, happy feelings. In fact, if you look at the majority of Psalms, you're like, Man, this guy probably needs to see a counselor. Like, he's got, a, you know, he's got a rough life. It doesn't always give us warm fuzzies, but when we turn our hearts to God in worship, even when life is hard, it's possible to find something else. Maybe not happiness, but joy. Because joy isn't circumstantial. Joy goes deeper. Let's look at a couple of other psalms together. Um, This is a series through the psalms, and we're really only breaking down like five over the five weeks. But I want to throw in some more because they really support each other. Let's look at Psalm chapter 121 for a second. We're just going to look at the first two verses. You don't even have to look it up. It's going to be real quick, but if you want to, 121, it'll be on the screen. First half, verse 1. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You ever felt that way? You're just in the thick of it, and you're like, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to pay this bill? How are we going to make it through this tough season? How are we going to get through this thing we're dealing with with our kids or with, you know, uh, my, my elderly parents that we've got to take care of right now? How are we going to do both? Or we've got this job situation. Where does the help come from? And then the psalmist in verse 2 answers this question. It says, my help comes from the Lord. I love this little tag, maker of heaven and earth. I don't know if that's how he intended it, but like if God had a name tag, <laughs> God, maker of heaven and earth. Like, you know, you, you worry, worry about. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. We talked about that last week. Faith is difficult, but when we're in the thick of it, sometimes all we can do is look to the Lord for the future. Bring me joy. Uh, we find it again. We're going to look at a different psalm, Psalm chapter 30. We're going to read 8 through 12 this time. Psalm chapter 30, verses 8 through 12. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord. Be my help. Like, maybe you can relate to a day like that. It feels like you're at the pit, okay? You've hit the bottom, and you're like, okay, God, what good is this doing anybody? Like, I just feel beat up today. And you've, I, I appreciate the candidness of so many of the Psalms where the, the people are just like, Okay, where are you, Lord? Like, I don't get it. I don't know why this is happening. This is where this person is. Maybe you've been there. But then in verse 11, the psalmist turns their heart to worship. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. Sackcloth, like anytime you're going through a really hard time in ancient times, you would put on like really uncomfortable clothes, burlap clothes. I mean, sackcloth is what they called it. And and the idea was like, well, if I'm going to be miserable, I want to be all the way miserable. (laughs) So I'm going to put on uncomfortable clothes. Like that's literally where they were with that. He says, but you removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. I love that imagery because the the culture of that was like, if I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be all the way miserable, you know, and they put on sackcloth. And the image of God coming down be like, buddy, take off that stupid sackcloth. (laughs) I I think that's what he would say. Take it off. And then it doesn't just leave us like naked and abandoned. Do you see what it does? What does he clothe us with? You clothe me with joy. I know things are rough. I know you're in the pit. I know you feel like you're eating dust down there. Let me give you something else. Let me give you joy. Verse 12, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. So we've unpacked it. That's it. That's Psalm 126. But what can be our takeaway? I, I, I think, uh, in talking with, 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 about this with some people recently, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's two takeaways that I get about joy that maybe can be our, I don't know, we want like a, 
a rally cry or something to really focus on this week that could be this. There are two realities of joy. Um, what is joy? Okay, so the first thing is this. Joy is about finding pleasure in God's presence. Because if joy is circumstantial, we need to find an area where circumstances don't change. God is the same all the time. Joy is about finding pleasure in God's presence. Let's just talk about that for a second. In Psalm 126, there's no doubt like who's behind the joy of these people who are ascending the hill. They say, you know, uh, God has blessed us. God, God has been good to us. And I have joy for the past. I got joy for the future because God is present. That's where they find their joy. This isn't joy about finding out that you got a present for your birthday. This isn't circumstantial joy. This is joy based on something different. Many people have called this the joy of the Lord. I like that phrase. There's a couple of old songs about it. The idea that it's just the joy of the Lord. I can't explain it. I just, I'm, I'm happy because I'm in his presence. Because God is good. Because God is powerful. Because God takes care of us. God doesn't always restore our circumstances. Surely you've experienced that. If you've experienced the loss of a loved one, I mean, that's, that's done. That's final. He doesn't always restore our circumstances to the place where we would like them to be, but he can always restore your soul to a place of contentment. I'm going to say that phrase again. God doesn't always restore your circumstances to the place where you wish they could be, but he will always restore your soul to a place of contentment. That's what it means about finding joy in the presence of the Lord. And it's hard, and it's a discipline. I mean, I don't know if I could adequately preach a lesson on how to do that. I think it's, it's more about living it day in and day out and then witnessing it in other people's lives and then starting to see like, whoa, this does work. Like the guy in Psalm 46 who was so thirsty for God, he was like a deer who was panting for water. Like, like that person, I'm thirsty for you, God. Let me seek your presence. And I've experienced that in that there is joy. Uh, what would life be like if we started looking for our joy in God? Not your next birthday party, not your team in the Super Bowl, not the extra raise that you want at work. Like those things bring us happiness and God wants us to have happiness. But what if instead every single morning you said, Lord, I'm seeking your presence today. I'm seeking your influence in my life today. Not for my gain, not so like, you know, I'm going to hang out with God because he promises to bless me if I hang out with him. No, no, just for the sheer sake of loving him. To be known and known by God. Um, joy comes by seeking the presence of God. That's my first observation, and I think this might be our first takeaway. Here's a second takeaway, and this one might be surprising, but I found it to be so true in my life. Joy comes through putting other people first. Joy comes through putting other people first. The thing is, I think we know this is true. We've got a phrase, it's better to give than to what? Receive. Why? I mean, yeah, I love getting a present like anybody, but man, you ever bought that thing for someone special and you just can't wait for them to open it? It's just something about serving them and you're excited about it. That's why when you, feel, when you pull over to help somebody on the side of the road or you give somebody some money when they're clearly in need or you do something for somebody else, you just feel good about it. Even if pulling over to help them on the side of the road made you late for your appointment, Everyone there understands. Look, there was a lady, she had a flat tire. I pulled over, it was raining, we needed to get her back on the road. And everyone in the meeting, unless they're a jerk, which there are jerks, I, I mean, I've met a few. But you know, most people are just like, well, good for you. Okay, we could wait five minutes for that. There's joy in putting other people first. And no teaching on joy would be complete, I don't think, without looking at Jesus' joy. 
Hebrews chapter 12. This is one of my favorite passages to go to over and over again. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 2. Look for the word joy, and I want you to specifically pay attention and look for how it applies to Jesus. Like, where does Jesus find joy? Hebrews 2, starting at verse 12. Uh, starting at verse 2. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 2. There we go. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus gave up heaven. Philippians 2 said he let go of, or he didn't consider equality with God to be something to be held on to, so he released himself of that, and he made himself nothing. He took on the, the form of a human and became a servant. So Jesus gave up all the splendors of heaven and everything good, and he came to live a life of a carpenter in a third world country. Uh, I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's hard. Why did he do that? Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured all of that. What was the joy set before him? I believe the joy that Jesus kept his eyes on was the redemption of our souls. Jesus goes through all the hard life he lives on earth. He goes through the cross. He goes through all of these other things. What gave him the motivation to get through that? He knew that on the other side of it, me and you and millions of other people around the world throughout history would know his love. There is joy in serving other people. And Jesus set the example. So finding joy is hard. Happiness is slippery. How do we do it? I think... We seek God's presence every day, and we seek joy in the presence of the Lord. And two, we seek joy in serving other people. Ironically, that is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. It's what he says is the greatest commandment. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We live in a time where it's really easy to get negative. You know, social media and the news and politics is so polarizing. And, uh, you know, there's just so many different ways that we can be negative. And I can't tell you how many times I've been guilty of sitting in a circle of people and we start talking about something, anything, anything. And then eventually the conversation will drift into what we don't like about that thing. Oh, it used to be better. Man, the service used to be better. Man, those, those, those should be better. Oh, it's not, oh, it could be better. This place is better than that place. We get into this comparison game because in our mind, we just, we just can't be happy. <laughs> but we can have joy. I want to close with one final psalm, Psalm chapter 95. And this is just a psalm of worship. So, like, just make this a worship moment for you. I'll try to read it in such a way that you can internalize it. If you want to close your eyes and make it part of a prayer, that will be fine. But we're going to be in Psalm 95. I'm going to read 1 through 7. And listen to this call to worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come down, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock 
under his care. God will take care of the circumstances. Let's do our best to honor him and put others first. Because the Lord has done great things for us. Let me pray for us this morning.